This is episode 315 with physician, researcher, clinician, orthopedic surgeon, inventor, and one of the world's leading authorities on meniscus injuries, Dr. Kevin Stone. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me or you can send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. Now I want to thank our partners who support the show. They're offering you some great discounts, which I hope you'll take advantage of. First is the Mobo Board. Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. It was invented by renowned physical therapist Jay DeSherry, and Mobo helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that forces you to improve your stability with proper mechanics from the foot all the way up to your hip. As we'll soon hear from Dr. Stone in this episode, stronger runners experience less wear and tear on their joints, so let's get strong and use that strength the right way. Get your board at moboboard.com, and don't forget code STRENGTHRUN10. It'll save you 10%. We're also supported by the high-nutrient probiotic drink, AG1. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune system supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I find myself bringing those travel packs wherever I go. If I'm traveling, I find them super convenient. You can go to drinkag1.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or you can get a monthly shipment to make this part of your ongoing nutrition plan. You can see all those details at drinkag1.com Jason. Okay, my guest today is a renowned physician known for meniscus treatments. Dr. Kevin Stone graduated from Harvard and the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. His clinical work is focused on repairing and replacing the meniscus and other connective tissues in joints to keep people active. His inventions have led to the collagen meniscus implant, the first glucosamine beverage, the first stem cell articular cartilage repair procedure, and the three-tunnel technique of meniscus transplantation. Kevin is the guy to go to if you hurt your meniscus. And in this episode, we're exploring this injury, what it is, and why runners should care, how you can injure it and then treat your meniscus, and how to keep it healthy if it already is. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kevin Stone. Dr. Kevin Stone, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. Um, this is a show about meniscus injuries, but uh, instead of talking about those, I want to ask you about something absolutely fascinating I discovered about your background, doing some homework for this episode. Tell us about your invention, The Rescue Reel. I have to hear about this first before we dive in. Well, like everyone else, I was appalled 
when I watched people holding hands and jumping out in, during the 9-11 tragedy. And I just remember thinking at that moment, if he could reel in a 400-pound fish, why couldn't you reel out a 400-pound person? And that's what started my invention path of identifying a great mechanical engineer and figuring out how to produce a clutch mechanism that somebody could sit in a harness, hold on to, and it would lower them to the ground at six feet per second, which is the fastest you can drop to the ground and not break anything, uh, and not have to do anything. Because in a panic situation, you're not going to be thinking about how to use a device. So all of these criteria, it had to be cheap, it had to be fire resistant. All of these things were sort of this eureka moment of looking at the tragedy and saying, we ought to be able to stop that. And so has it been successful? Is, is this now a real product available in the world? That's a bad pun, a real product. But yes, uh, we, <laughs> it, it, in a sense, we, uh, we built it. We tested it with various fire departments around the country. Uh, we licensed it out to a manufacturer. And unfortunately, they ran into their own financial troubles and it's come back to us. So right now, I'm looking for a new manufacturer, a new champion who wants to carry this solution forward. Because unfortunately, we all know there's going to be another earthquake. There's going to be another fire. It's going to be a situation where you're going to see people on top of a building not being able to get out and saying, you know, why couldn't they get out? A lot of buildings are very pointy on top and you can't land a helicopter. And there are all these other considerations that make it hard for people to escape when they should be able to escape. And even if you could land a helicopter, it's not like you can evacuate an entire building's worth of people in a helicopter. You'd have right. to have dozens of them. I just wanted to go down this rabbit hole because I think it was absolutely <laughs> fascinating. And, and I think it's a testament to how you think. Uh, you, you certainly have this very varied background. Uh, you've gone really deep on, on so many different medical issues, in particular meniscus injuries, which is going to be our topic today. So first, thanks for um, letting me go a little bit off script and talking about that because I just thought that was really cool. Um, so let's dive in here because, you know, you are um, a good person for this conversation. This is an area that you focus on extensively. You just happen to be one of the world's leading experts on meniscus injuries. And you have a book called Play Forever, How to Recover from Injury and Thrive. And that is just like a catnip title to injury-prone runners like myself. <laughs> so this is going to be fun. Um, now, I do want to be upfront, Kevin, that I am not too well-informed on meniscus injuries. I've had pretty much every other repetitive stress injury that runners could have, but not a meniscus injury. Uh, so maybe let's start just by understanding what is a meniscus injury? How do we wrap our heads around what's going on in the body when someone says, you know, I have some type of meniscus injury? So let's just step back for a minute and think about the knee joint. And inside the knee joint, there's two types of cartilage. There's the articular cartilage, that white, shiny surface that covers the end of all bones. Crack open a chicken wing, that white, shiny surface, that is articular cartilage. And when you get arthritis, it's wearing down of that articular cartilage to the underlying bone. That's what traumatic and osteoarthritis is. The second type of cartilage in a knee joint is the meniscus cartilage. And the meniscus cartilage is this fibrous shock absorber, like a piece of squid. 
that sits between the femur and the tibia. And it's crucial for the knee. It provides shock absorption. It provides stability. It provides a host of biochemical and biomechanical characteristics that keep the knee joint healthy. And so when you hear of someone who has a meniscus injury, it's usually they've done a pivot twist or an unexpected motion, and they tore part of that fibrous meniscus tissue. And now it no longer provides that shock absorption the way it should. And so a small meniscus tear or a removal of part of that tissue leads to force concentration. So if you think about across the top of the tibia, the forces of loading get distributed. And if you damage that shock absorber, the forces get concentrated. And so you as as a normal person take two to three million steps per year at up to the five times your body weight. So if you step off a curb or you're running and land hard, your landing force is higher than just your normal body weight. And so if you tear the meniscus, concentrate the force, you dramatically increase the wear on the joint surface, and that's what starts you down that path to arthritis. So are meniscus injuries always a case of tearing or or otherwise uh, an acute type of trauma to this particular type of cartilage, or could it also be degradation over time? So most of the meniscus injuries that we see are really trauma. Yes, we see, do see some degradation over time, but most of the meniscus injuries that cause a runner to come into the doctor's office is, hey, doc, I twisted my knee, I felt a pop, or I just start getting a catching in my knee, or my knee started swelling a bit after activities, or I've just got pain just in this one spot on the joint line. Those are the very common runner comments about their knee. And the big question is, is this a cartilage tear that needs treatment? Or is this just, you know, I landed poorly and my knee's a little bit sore? So we've got to sort out between those comments. And fortunately, a good quality exam, physical exam, when combined with high quality MRI and a good history and often an x-ray, that combination of information is extremely accurate for determining is the meniscus damaged or not. So are meniscus injuries something that runners really have to worry too much about? Because it sounds like it's not your typical, quote unquote, running injury, a repetitive stress injury like Achilles tendinopathy or something like patellofemoral pain syndrome, runner's knee. You know, those are the injuries that runners are a little bit more familiar with. It sounds like these injuries are almost like the injuries I used to risk as a basketball player before I was a runner, um, or, you know, if you were a soccer player, someone who's changing direction and and working in different planes of motion, is it true that those athletes might need to be a little bit more cautious about their knee health than a runner who's typically just trying to run as far fast as they can straight ahead? It's a great question. And the answer is you can run forever as long as you don't injure your knee. So... An elephant, you know, at 30, 40,000 pounds can run 30 or 40 miles an hour. I'm sorry, at 15,000 pounds can run 30 or 40 miles an hour, can live to 50 or 60 years old. Their joints don't ever really get arthritis. Um, They don't have that kind of injury. 
you, when you have an injury to your meniscus and change the force concentration, send you down that arthritis path. Normal running does not damage the joint as long as the mechanics are good. And we'll talk, I'm sure, a bit about running mechanics and running, you know, when what's helpful, what's not helpful, and when do you put yourself at more risk. But the answer to your question is you can run forever as long as you don't have an injury. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Music to my ears. So, okay. It doesn't seem like this is an injury that that you're probably going to receive from the sport of running. However, there are a lot of runners who injure their knees in other ways and ultimately come down with, with a meniscus tear or other type of meniscus injury. Um, is, is this more of an injury that happens outside of running and then you work with a runner to rehabilitate the injury and get them back on the road? Um, you know, is, is there a good prognosis for runners? Yeah, that's great. And, and yes, they're, they're much more at risk for meniscus injuries when they decide to play soccer and basketball to intersperse their running training program. Uh, however, the runner who steps poorly, lands poorly, steps in a hole, pivots in an unusual way, is just as susceptible to that pivot, twist, tear the meniscus story, though not as frequently as a soccer player, basketball player would. What are the symptoms of this? I think you mentioned this uh, briefly uh, about a minute or two ago. You said swelling of the knee. Uh, you know, if a runner is curious if they might have a meniscus injury, you know, if something happened, you know, like I made the ill decision to go play basketball with some of my friends when I was already fatigued from a run earlier in that day. And, you know, just, I, I wasn't as athletic as I could be. Uh, what are some of those symptoms that might indicate you do have a meniscus tear? So what the most common things we hear are pain on the joint line, some swelling, catching. Those are sort of the most common things that somebody says, um, I've injured my knee, something's wrong. When they tear their meniscus enough to displace it into the middle of the knee, that's called a bucket handle tear of the meniscus. And then their knee's locked. They can't extend it all the way because that tissue's blocking that extension. And they know for sure that something's wrong because they can't extend. There's no doubt what it is. But the more subtle things are the popping and catching, pain on the joint line, a little bit of swelling with activities. Those are the common things for a meniscus injury. And the point is to really pay attention. An early diagnosis and an early repair has a much higher success rate than just living with it in a late diagnosis and a late effort to save the meniscus. So a big part of what's happened over the last you know, decade has been this realization that, gee, if we could pick up those symptoms early, if we could make that diagnosis early, we can repair that meniscus. Or if it's destroyed, we can replace that meniscus with a donor meniscus and save the joint from going down that arthritis pathway. So our bias is very, and it's very important to know, by the way, the bias of your surgeon. Um, if they're biased towards repairing these and saving them, they're more likely to make every effort to suture back as many meniscus tears as they see. And if they're more biased towards, hey, I'll just take it out and get you back to running and come see me when you've got arthritis, you need to know that as a runner, you need to know what's the bias of your surgeon 
In the same way, you need to know what's the bias of your coach, what's the bias of anyone else who's influencing your training and running program. You know, that might be one of the most interesting questions a runner could ask a coach in interviewing them to be their potential coach. What is your bias? What are the things that, that you believe to be true and, and how you go about, you know, the training process? That we're going to put a pin in, in that part of the conversation. Um, is there an approach that is more uh, beneficial or effective for runners in particular, whether that's repairing it or just getting in there and immediately uh, replacing it or, or just waiting until it wears down and, you know, you get arthritis in 10 or 20 years? Is, is there an approach that you think is best? The approach is overwhelmingly make the diagnosis soon and repair it as soon as possible. The tissue gets beaten up over time, makes it really hard for us to get a good healing uh, event to occur. So very early diagnosis is critical. Many of the meniscus injuries that we see now, uh, when it's not a full tear, when it's a bruise to the joint, when it's a strain, or when it's something that we think we can get to heal, we're using PRP and lubrication combined as an injection up front and seeing, does that take away all the symptoms? And this is in the setting where there's not a clear meniscus tear by MRI or exam. So very early seeing the person who's going to treat you and getting the newer therapies, whether it's an injection or whether it's a repair, determines the lifespan of your knee. Can you explain what PRP is just for our listeners? So we're now in the what I call the anabolic era of orthopedics. So in the past, when you had strains and injuries, surgeons might put cortisone into your tissue or into your joints. And we know that cortisone shuts down cell metabolism, shuts down healing, and actually damages a lot of the tissues that we're trying to save. And that shifted completely now. Now, when you come in with an injury that doesn't need surgery, we can stimulate the cells to heal. We can stimulate the tissues. We can stimulate the lining of the joint to produce more lubrication. And we do that by taking out some of your own blood, spinning it, getting the platelets. The platelets are rich with these growth factors that we know are so important for healing. And then we take that concentrated segment of the blood we add it to the natural lubricant called hyaluronic acid and then inject that into the tissues or into the joint. That combination is an anabolic and lubrication therapy that shuts down inflammation, stimulates healing, and has been a wonderful addition to our armamentarium for treating sports injuries and trying to accelerate healing and to optimize the healing that does occur. So whenever we do a meniscus repair these days, we always augment those repairs at some point with these kinds of stimulation, these anabolic therapies. And whenever we can treat a joint injury or a tissue injury with an anabolic therapy, we think we can shorten the time for that athlete to get back to the things they love to do. You mentioned that, you know, some orthopedics might actually suggest that you just don't treat it and you sort of just let it get worse. Are, are you able to run with a meniscus tear after a certain point? Is there an acute pain period? And then, you know, you can sort of hobble your way through it a little bit. I mean, what, what how do you think about resuming activity if you're not on the other side of a surgery and a repair? So, so many of the patients that I see came in with a story of, hey, doc, I injured my knee. I tore the meniscus. The doc took it out in high school or college football or soccer. And here I am 20, 30 years later with knee arthritis. Uh, can you save my knee? 
And we do try to save their knee by putting back in a new meniscus and regrowing the cartilage. But it would be so much better if on day one, when they injured their knee, the surgeon repaired that meniscus. So we see many people who continue to run on torn meniscus cartilages, who continue to run after the meniscus has been partially removed. And in general, what happens is we see those joints degrade over time. And we're trying our best to both educate our athletes and to intervene as early as possible to save that tissue. So this is definitely an example of a tissue that doesn't really repair itself. Is that right? If you just don't do anything to your meniscus, it's, it's not going to magically heal and you'll be able to run in a few weeks. Very, very few of the true meniscus tears heal on their own because they're unstable. So you need that full intact ring structure to permit healing to occur. And so once you get a split tear, the meniscus gaps open in and out and, and really inhibits the ability for the collagen tissue to weave itself back together, even if you immobilize the knee. So very few meniscus tears really, you know, real tears really heal on their own. They take some help. Fortunately, we've got good tools to help them now. And uh, so there's no reason to really live with a torn meniscus tissue when we know it dooms the health of the knee. Yeah, for sure. So let's transition a little bit and talk about prevention, because it sounds like we just don't want to get a meniscus tear, period. It, it's just a, it's a real pain in the knee, <laughs> and uh, it's not really going to help our running for sure. So are there certain types of runners, let's be specific, are there certain types of runners that might be more susceptible to getting some type of meniscus injury? You know, is this an issue of you know, the stronger you are, the more you can squat, the better off you are? Or how do you think about, you know, the characteristics of someone who might be more resilient to a meniscus injury? So the first thing is that most of the injuries we see throughout sports, including our runners, are mental errors. And so your mind just wasn't there. You were thinking about your girlfriend or boyfriend. You were distracted by the cell phone. You were just momentarily did something you knew you shouldn't do. You, you stuck out your leg at the wrong moment in a soccer game. You were skiing just a little too fast. You were running and you sort of kind of ignored that unstable surface right ahead of you. You just, you just made a decision that you truly regretted and an injury occurred. So the first thing is being in the game, being having your head in your run when you're running. And even though you like to let your mind float and one of the joys of running is the ability to let your mind really go lots of places. And I, I have my best thoughts on the runs. But, but having a sense of awareness of where you are, what your footing is, the environment you're in, will decrease your running injuries more than any other factor. The next thing is, remember I mentioned to you that you normally take two to three million steps per year at up to five times your body weight. So question for you and your listeners, which one produces more force in your knee, running a mile or walking a mile? I'm going to guess running. And so the answer is about the same. Oh. And the reason is that when you run, you take fewer steps. However, your running gait and mechanics really matter because it's the peak forces in running can be much higher than walking. So if you Run short strides, midfoot landing, soft surfaces, good mechanics. You decrease the forces going through your ankle, your knee, your hip, your back. 
So running mechanics make a huge difference in whether or not you're susceptible to a meniscus injury or other joint injuries. And so one of the things to really coach your listeners in is that running coaches are not just for pros. Running coaches can really help you improve your gait, improve your mechanics, improve your time when you're running to get the best benefit out of it. But most importantly, from my point of view, keep you out of my office (laughs) because they can help you run without injury. And so if we could open up people's minds by in any way during this chat together, it's that think about how much you use coaches in every other sport in your life and so many other aspects of your life. And so many people who are running so ubiquitous, and yet the use of running coaches is nowhere near as common as having a yoga coach or somebody else, a Pilates instructor. And yet it should be because you you really would decrease your injuries. So back to your question, mechanics matter a ton. Mental, you know, in having your mind in the game matters a ton. And shoe wear, of course, and, and other aspects of fitness do matter. And we can talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate you talking about mindfulness. I, I think that was not something I was expecting, uh, you know, a, a doctor to talk about when it comes to preventing uh, an acute type of injury like a meniscus injury. But with the nature of this injury, I do think it's particularly uh, impactful to be more mindful. And, you know, with, with I live in Colorado. I go out to the mountains all the time and, and go on these amazing trail runs. And I'm almost forced to be more mindful because the footing can be quite technical and you really need to be careful with where you're, you're stepping. And it's almost like when I'm running on the sidewalk is when I am most at risk because that's when I'm not paying attention as much because I don't think I have to. But that's when those, those little obstacles, those little potholes, you know, when the sidewalk ends and things aren't the way they should be, you're probably most at risk. And, and I probably would be a very rich man if I had a dollar for every time a runner was not paying attention and, uh, you know, tripped over a pothole or something like that. I actually slammed into a fire hydrant once on a group run that was not very fun, but thankfully my knee survived. Um, let's talk a little bit about those mechanics. Cause I think this is an area that is going to be a little bit more actionable for our listeners you know, of course, let's pay attention when we run, but it seems like one of the biggest prevention points is just having good mechanics and not putting your knees under undue stress that we don't have to uh, put them under. So you mentioned running uh, with your, you know, your, your feet landing underneath you. Can you talk a little bit about center of mass, where your feet should land and, and sort of what that does to impact forces that you experience? So the data seems to be pretty good that midfoot landing, short strides, soft surfaces are the are the components that people can work with to decrease peak forces going through the joints. That said, when you look at runners, there's a, such a wide variety of styles, and I'm certain that for very for different people, their gait pattern and their mechanics of running often are right for them. And changing those things often is not helpful for them, both for their running enjoyment and for their body mechanics. And so there is a very wide range of how people do run. And when you put the word should in there, it becomes very complicated. But in general, you know, your foot is designed to absorb forces. 
you know, midfoot landing is lowers the peak forces that heel landing does, heel strike does. Short strides, you know, in, decreases the amount of impact. Uh, being fit, of course, the muscle, the stronger the muscles are, the less force goes through the joint because the muscles stabilize and absorb. And then the more you run and the more resistance exercise you do, the more you build up your bones. And so the less likely you are for stress fractures and other things as you become more osteoporotic over time. So these are all, you know, generalities about how we guide people. But the importance of the coach is that looking at your individual gait and your mechanics may be as important as anything else. Are there certain running form red flags that would that would make you think a runner might be a little bit more susceptible to meniscus injuries? You know, is, is it essentially just the opposite of these best practices that you've mentioned, you know, landing very far out from your body with an aggressive heel strike, things like that? So those are things more around force going through the joint, not necessarily producing a meniscus tear. To produce a meniscus tear, you've got to have an abnormal motion. So you've got to land and twist. You've got to pivot in some way. You've got to distract the joint, such as when you have an ACL injury. You've got to have an abnormal mechanics that occur in the joint. So, so uh, that's often a bit of bad luck or bad judgment. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, this is really interesting to me because, you know, uh, with all the runners that have asked me meniscus questions in the past, uh, I have typically always said, you know, you've just got to talk to your doctor. You know, I'm a running coach. I can't really help you if you have uh, a certain structural problem with a joint like that. Um, and so it sounds like the best course of action is, number one, try to prevent it with good mechanics by staying strong by being mindful when you're running, uh, is there an additional risk with potentially, you know, doing too much too soon? You know, the typical, uh, thing that, that digs the grave of many runners, you know, they run too much mileage too fast before they're ready for it. Uh, would that also be a potential risk factor, just overloading the system and and contributing more to wear and tear? You know, common sense wise would say, of course, yes. But really think about meniscus injuries as abnormal forces. Okay. Think about them as an injury. Yes, once you have arthritis, then all bets are off. Then increasing your volume early on is going to you know, create a host of factors and problems for you. But think about the meniscus as that critical shock absorber. You want it to be healthy. You want it to be solid. If it's degenerated or badly torn or been removed, replace it. We've gotten very good at doing meniscus replacements now from donor tissues and getting people back to running. And so you want to think about what we call biologic joint reconstruction, where we can rebuild the meniscus or replace the meniscus. We can rebuild the articular cartilage. We can rebuild the ligaments now. We have lots of tools for biologic joint replacement and keeping people doing the sports they love. And I should say on top of that now, even if they've destroyed their joint and now need to go on to bionic joint replacement, meaning partial replacement using metal and plastic, or even full resurfacing now, we're permitting our patients to go back to running and doing full sports. It's not like the old days where um, we really had to prevent people or thought we had to prevent people. We've now learned that the more active someone is, the more they build their bone, the more they build their muscle, the better their head is, all the things that go into good health. Uh, and it's more important to get people back to the sports they love than prevent them from doing them. 
I love that. And I think that's going to be very reassuring to our listeners who might be dealing with uh, a meniscus injury. How do you replace the meniscus? You, you mentioned growing meniscus tissue. Is that is that done in a lab? Is that simply harvested tissue from donors? How does that work? So there's repair, regeneration, and replacement. So if you tear your meniscus, the first move is to repair it, if at all possible. Sewing it back together, adding growth factors and other stimulants to get it to heal. If there's a section missing, I designed the first collagen meniscus implant many years ago to regrow the meniscus. And that, that design worked extremely well. It's across the United States and Europe. However, right this minute, it's not on the market because the company that bought that thing pulled it off the market for now. It will come back. Lastly, if you're missing a lot of the meniscus or it's beaten up badly, we replace it using a donor meniscus. So, Usually, unfortunately, someone has fallen off their motorcycle at a young age, uh, their parts are donated, and we get the meniscus tissue, and we use that for people who have lost meniscus volume. It's an outpatient surgery. It takes about an hour to two hours to do it, and we add that to the whole biologic joint reconstruction program. So if they've damaged the meniscus only, it's just replacing the meniscus. If they've damaged the meniscus and the articular cartilage, the bearing surface, then we have to regrow that surface. And if they've damaged the meniscus and the ligaments, we have to do the ligaments and the meniscus all at the same time. But all of these things now get people back to the sports they love as long as they're dedicated to the rehab program. <laughs> That's always the, the million dollar question is, is adherence. How, how well you are you going through your rehab? Uh, how long does it take for a runner to typically get back to running if they come in and and let's maybe go through those three options that you just went through? What's a typical time frame that they might be looking at of time sitting on the couch? Never sitting on the couch. So that might be a minute when they injured their knee. But as soon as they see us, they start their rehab program that minute. So they work, they see me, they see our nursing team, our x-ray team, and then they're immediately, I walk them over and individually introduce them to our fitness and physical therapy team. So that starts right away. We want everyone to realize that they can use their injury as an opportunity to come back fitter, faster, and stronger than they've been in years. And then day one after surgery, they're back in with our team for two hours a day, an hour of physical therapy, so soft tissue massage, getting rid of the swelling, range of motion things, and then fitness training for an hour as well. We all know that you feel so much better, you send all the good drugs, testosterone, endorphins, pheromones, adrenaline, all those things help you heal. In a sense, we're drug pushers for those four things. We're trying to get you to raise them right away, immediately post-surgery, and immediately get you into your fitness program. So we want you by three to four months after almost any one of these procedures, whether it's a repair or a replacement, to be back running with good form and good mechanics. And so your date to returning to running is when your mechanics are good enough for you to run safely. So here in the clinic, we're testing our athletes all the time, looking at their landing force, looking at their walking patterns, looking at their ability to use different weights and different exercises with good form. And then as soon as the form's there, the head has usually already been there and eager to go. So most people in that three to four month window are back out running. And when someone is back to running, you know, they say, okay, doc, I want to train for a, a 5k coming up in a couple months and, and you give them their blessing. Is there any ways in which they should be modifying their running training because of their prior meniscus injury? Or 
once they're in the clear, once they've gotten the green light from you, they can sort of just keep doing what they've always done with regard to training and strength training and, and all the, you know, actual training pieces to their running. Well, the goal is that during that three-month window, we've taught them ways to do better than what they were doing before. Because most runners ignore one part of their body or the other. Most athletes do. So whether it's core training, whether it's upper body strength, whether it's balance and proprioception, whether it's, you know, pick your pick your area of fitness that we all love to stay in the areas that we love to do and we tend to ignore the ones we want to ignore for whatever reason. So during that three-month window, using that as an opportunity to analyze what have you done well, what have you done poorly, and build on that program and come back better than you were before you got hurt is our goal. We don't think there are any specific changes unless somebody has a terrible gait or as a you know an injury-producing activity that that needed to be corrected. That said, when we see people who have had arthritic joints and we're helping them get back to their sport, almost everyone with an arthritic joint has also lost motion at their hip or their back or other things because they've favored the way they walk and their gait mechanics are usually altered. And so one of our goals is to look at the whole person and figure out what have they been favoring? What's lost range of motion? How do we help them get back fully so that they return, as we say, fitter, faster, stronger? I think one of the really important pieces of wisdom to take from this conversation is that you can take an injury, even one as severe as a meniscus tear that requires potential surgical intervention, and come back from that better than you were before. And, you know, I'm I'm wearing my coach's hat right now, just thinking about how beneficial this is for runners, because, you know, this is true for any running injury. No matter what injury you have, we should always use it as a learning opportunity what potentially caused this? Was it a training error? Was it a mindfulness error? And can we adjust our training moving forward so that we're not only, you know, feeling good, but we're also designing training that's going to potentially save us from this injury again in the future. So I think that's really important. And that's, that's why I wrote the book play forever, because I'm trying to help people understand that at every age and with every injury, your creativity and your desire determines your return. And so in that book, we go through lots of different examples of how to use those tools to come back. And with our goal of having you drop dead at age 100 out on a trail somewhere. <laughs> you might be speaking my language. That might be my preferred way to go. <laughs> um you know, Kevin, thanks for helping us runners better understand meniscus injuries and, and how to treat them, run after them, and, and just think a little bit more strategically about this because it's certainly something that I know affects a lot of runners, uh, but isn't necessarily a quote-unquote running injury. Have I maybe missed anything about this injury that you'd like to let our listeners know about? I think you did a great job covering the bases. And, uh, um, you know, I think just being bummed that you had an injury for a minute and then determined to use your injury as an opportunity is the most important message. And so whenever you tell someone, hey, go talk to your doctor, it should be additionally find out what your doctor's biases are and then go do your homework. Because um, we're fortunately living in an AI information age right now and any patient and any runner can find out some of the latest, best information on any one of these injuries. And 
those of us who write books, who teach and lecture and who try to disseminate information work really hard to make this stuff available for people so that you can find out and become really knowledgeable about your own body and your own injury. Well, thanks, Kevin. This was uh, really interesting for me. You know, I've, I'm sort of an injury prone runner, or I think I, I used to be, um, and I've had quite a few different types of injuries, thankfully never hurt my meniscus. But uh, I always like to learn about injuries that are adjacent to running that could affect me as a runner if I make a mistake in another area of my life, because it will then prevent me from doing the thing that I actually really love to do, uh, which is which is running. So I uh, really appreciate your expertise. Your book, Play Forever, is out now. It's available, I think, everywhere you can buy books. But you know, is there anywhere else you'd like to send listeners if they want to learn more about your work and, and what you're doing? Sure. We Two places. One is the Stone Clinic at stoneclinic.com, which us here in San Francisco, where we post information every week and have lots of videos and other information there for them. And then if they're interested in research, stoneresearch.org is where we post all of the research outcome studies that we're doing on all, many of the subjects we talked about today. And then Play Forever is at Amazon, easiest place to find it. So my pleasure to help and uh, uh, hope to see you out there and enjoying it with a smile on your face. Dr. Kevin Stone, thank you very much. Take care. And that's our show today, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to pay it forward, you can rate and review the show. You can share it with your running friends or your club, or you can go to strengthrunning.com and get yourself a training program. Now, you can also support the show by supporting our sponsors who help me keep the lights on over here at Strength Running HQ. They're offering you some discounts, and that will help the Strength Running Podcast as well as indicate to the sponsors that they should keep supporting the show. First, it's one of my favorite strength and performance tools. I really recommend it for every runner, not just to build strength, but to diagnose any movement deficiencies, the Mobo Board. Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. It was invented by physical therapist Jay DeSherry, and Mobo helps you stabilize your stance. There's this really interesting rocker board that's set up on two fins, and there's a hole where your four little toes are supposed to be. And that effectively forces you to drive your big toe into the board to improve your stability. And you can hear Jay and I discuss stability training a lot more in episode 275 of the podcast. Now, I mentioned this before, but I got to say, I was pretty confident, maybe even a little arrogant, going into my first session on the Mobo board. It was just balancing, right? How hard can that be? Well, I was humbled pretty quickly. Even if you're a good runner, better balance, stability, and proprioception are all going to help you have a more powerful stride and prevent more running injuries. You'll learn how to improve the efficiency of the kinetic chain from your hip all the way down to your big toe. Because as Jay likes to say, it's not just how strong you are, but how well you use that strength. Save 10% with code STRENGTHRUN10 at checkout at moboboard.com. Again, that's STRENGTHRUN10 at moboboard.com. I'm also grateful for the support of AG1, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. And I need simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy all the time because I just love convenience. So I'm finding AG1 really helpful to help optimize my health by giving my body what it needs. You can learn more about it at drinkag1.com slash Jason. 
One scoop per day gives me 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a greens, superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I have them, and it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. I like to have it in the early afternoon hours to counteract that mid-afternoon slump. And it's great because it supports the immune system. With all three of my kids in school, I know I've got to be on top of my game because I'm no match for those little kid germs. But what I really love about AG1 is that they regularly change the formula. Over the last decade, they've made over 50 different improvements to the AG1 formula based on the latest research to make all those nutrients more absorbable and the product more rigorous with the third-party testing that they do. AG1 is certified safe for sport. Go to drinkag1.com Jason, and you'll see the great offer they've put together for our listeners. You're going to get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment if you want to try it, or if you're ready to make this a regular part of your nutrition program, you can sign up for a monthly subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash Jason to sign up today. That's our show this week, my friends. I appreciate you being here for being part of the Strength Running community and all of your support. We'll be in touch. 